Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I invite you to join me as we explore what it looks like to choose joy in the messy middle while embracing the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to find joy in your every day. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 278 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. This week, I'm really honored to be joined by Baron Stefan. He is a Siddha yoga practitioner, a big band crooner, and a widower. He is also the author of the book, The Final Gift of the Beloved, Her Disappearance, 13 Days, where he shares the story of the death of his wife, Dr. Shauna Lowe Stefan, and the 13 days that follow that. It really is a deeply moving and very spiritual book and discussion and I'm really honored to have him come on and talk about it because there's so much that we can see in his journey of transformation and the spirituality involved there. I think that there's a parallel to our lives right now while we're all going through these things that are so very hard and so I'm really honored to be able to share his story and his voice with you today. Before we get to the interview, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in this week and always and making Jumpstart Your Joy a part of your week. If you're new, I want to give you a very warm welcome and say I'm so glad that you're here as well. If you're curious about the show, Jumpstart Your Joy started in 2015 and in the six years that have followed, I've interviewed many people um, and you might be interested in going back and listening to some of those inspirational stories about how people have found joy in hard times and difficult situations. Who knew when I started in 2015 that this would be this really interesting catalog of inspirational stories for us to all go back and listen to when we were in the middle of a pandemic. And I have really enjoyed getting to review so many of them myself, and I'm grateful for having all of these discussions. That history also led me late last year to write a book, and it is called Jumpstart Your Joy, Heart-Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle, because I know we are all so very much in the messy middle right now, and we're going through something that we've never been through ever, and something that we probably couldn't have even imagined when we started out at the end of 2019. We would have never guessed that any of this was coming, and so I've spent this season of the podcast looking at how to find joy in the messy middle and, and the stories and the work that I've done over the last six years have really inspired me to write some of this down and to share it with a wider audience in a book format. If you're interested in getting your pre-order copy, you can get that through January 29th, 2021. So that's Friday of this week. And if you order from my website, you will get a bunch of goodies. <laughs> I will say it's already blown through every milestone I set. So I'm really delighted to share the goodies that come along as a pre-order. There's just some some little thank yous and you'll get a copy of the audiobook when it comes out um, and so thank you if you've already ordered and thank you to the international purchasers I'm so excited to be sending these off to Canada and Ireland thank you for ordering to order the book you can just go to jumpstartyourjoy.com and you'll find a buy the book link right there on the homepage. Uh, that's the best way to get it right now. If you also want to find out more about the show and the last, you know, six years of episodes, you can find that all on the website as well, jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find the episode notes for this episode, so Baron and I are talking about his book and some of his experiences, you can find it at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 278. 
And that's the easy way, so you don't have to write notes. Um, there's also a full transcript, which I'm really excited to be able to do now on the website. So go check that out. I was really honored to be able to speak with Baron because he shares about the loss of his wife, Shauna. Uh, one night while he was out of town at a retreat, he received a phone call that informed him that she had passed away. And this really beautifully written book, The Final Gift of the Beloved, Her Disappearance 13 Days, chronicles the next 13 days of his life and how he grapples with her passing. He calls it a love story disguised as a tragedy. And in it, he shares his own personal journey as he faces the pain of loss head on. And he he is a really deep individual. And I love that he can share what this death has meant to him because it really is an interesting insight into maybe how we can all um, interpret or see tragedy in our lives in a different way. He also talks about finding joy in the messy middle. The thing that stood out to me is that he recognizes that all of the spiritual work and practice that he had done throughout his life up until that moment when he found out that his wife had passed away was what made it possible for him to experience the loss of his wife in the way that he did. And, and so we talk about things being a spiritual practice and, you know, it really is that we are practicing in the now, right now, if we meditate or we we pray or we make sure that we're walking every day, it sets us up to be strong for when we need it in the future. We're practicing it. And and so I love that he talked about that as, as well. So I am really excited to jump right on in and I know you're going to love him. Uh, Baron Stefan, welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. Baron. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to tell us what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? It was, it was my family. And even though, as you know from the book, there were very dark times, it was literally having two sisters, my mother and my grandfather, and such present moments of love and lightness that were so profound that there was no forgetting that. So even when things became difficult and dark later on, there was always that memory, that neuronal memory, you know? Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting because so many people kind of go to the things or the events of their life mm -hmm. when that question comes up of, you know, they love the animals or they love being in nature. And, mm -hmm. and I love that you've focused in on that, the present moment and the love that you knew was a total reality for your family. Because I, I also see that playing through in a beautiful way in your book. So yeah, that's, it's interesting. Mm. You, you wrote an amazing book, which I really enjoyed reading, The Final Gift of the Beloved, which is, is a really artful telling of the love story between you and your wife, Shauna, and also at the same time, her, her leaving this earth. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what the book mm -hmm. is about and, I don't know, how you got to the craft of telling the story? Well, the full title of the book is long, it's the f and I'm going to say it because it actually gives away the entire book in the title. The Final Gift of the Beloved, Her Disappearance, 13 Days, because ultimately, as you know from the book, that was my wife's final gift to me, was her disappearance, mm -hmm. and how I was, and still am, able to perceive it and almost accept the gift of the gift as that way, as a gift, is why I wrote the book and what's about the book, because I didn't want to write the book. Right. I had friends ask me to write it so they could 
better understand and others as well, how it was I was able to respond the way I did to something so devastating to so many, you know, Shauna was globally known and loved. And we can get into that a little bit later, but a a great leader of women globally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the book is, it's the true story of the 13 days following my wife's fatal automobile accident. And it's a moment by moment chronicle of, well, beginning with the officer's words, she is deceased. And those 13 days were unlike anything I could have imagined, both from the devastation, the agony, and the beauty. And that was what was so disorienting and also transforming, is that it could be both. And to be honest, it was the love that had the upper hand. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's, you know, one way I describe it in a shorter way is it's a love story disguised as a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And that definitely came through so loud and clear. I I mean, I was really taken aback. I, I think some of it was both your spiritual practice of yoga and even being in the midst of a retreat when you received the note, sorry, the news but having the presence to trust what it was that you needed, even I know you asked the first person that you met after you got the note, the, I kept saying the nose, <laughs> the <laughs> news, what should I do? Basically, like, I don't know, but I, I, your intuition was to stay where you were and see the day through, which I think, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that or how you just had that deep sense of knowing that that was the next right step. I was yeah. Im- I'm impressed by that when people can have that presence. You know, that is a result of, of my sadhana, which is the Sanskrit word for spiritual practices, because I've done them for so long and for so many years. And even though Shauna and I weren't on the same path, we still had this innate trust of whatever happens, whether it's amazing or abhorrent, We need to look for what the lesson is in it for us. And so this has just had been my path for so long that when when life took away Shauna, all I had left was the only other thing I've truly loved, which is my spiritual path. And in one sense, that's also, Paula, why I wrote the book. The purpose of the book is not to promote any specific, specific or particular spiritual path, you know, it's important to know that my path of city yoga is a philosophy and not a religion. And that there's people from many different faiths within it. But what I wanted people to understand, and in your question, I hear this question again, which is how did you respond that way? I had given for many years myself to the teachings of my path. And those teachings came to my aid when I needed them most, which is why when I got out of the car, you'll remember I had absolutely no thoughts. And from a Western point of view, it's completely understandable, right? My neurons had never asked the question. That was the unaskable question of what would you do if your wife suddenly were dead, right? I would never had contemplated that. And so my mind was completely blank. But because I meditated every day for an hour for 25 years and all the other things I've done, I was familiar with that emptiness. Mm. And so I knew something unbelievable had happened and I had no way to understand it and I also knew on the other hand that the tidal wave of grief was going to come it hadn't come yet and I didn't let it come and again I attribute that to my spiritual practices for understanding that to honor that wave of grief and my wife 
as was fitting of her stature and greatness, I had to put myself in the perfect place to receive it undistracted. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. And I know we've had several people on the show. I mean, some people that are experts in grief, Julia Samuel, who is a British psychotherapist, but other people who've talked about grief and losing people, losing someone very, very close to them. And it's, it always feels like there's somewhat of that balance of wanting to do things like to immerse themselves in action to, to get away from maybe, or to numb out from pain, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, knowing deep inside that you also have to be present for the emotions. And, And I loved one of the things that I believe one of your teachers said was something about you don't want to pole vault the feelings with practices. And I felt like like I had to reread that line several times because I'm like, oh, someone has just said that in the perfect way of like to really honor the immensity and the importance of someone in your life. Just getting through it isn't isn't usually what the the point of, of the thing, like you're saying, like you knew and there was yet, something else. Yeah. And yet we have to get through it. And so that's mm-hmm. what was so profound about the, so in, a, in the book and in truth, you know, I, I spoke to one of the monks of Siddha Yoga, Swamiji, and that's what you're referring to is at a later date after the 13 days, you know, I told him what was happening because I'd used my practices of meditation, chanting, prayer, journaling, all those things that I'd learned over so many years to keep me away from the abyss because it is a very real abyss. I mean, I can imagine someone losing a child or something. And when it happens unexpectedly, it it is an almost an infinite looking depth of abyss. But when he said that, I got it just like you just got it. Right. So there is this amazing balance, almost juggling of things in the air at the time you're dealing with the grief of doing whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. to both honor and feel the grief. But, one of the best things we can do is do what they say on airplanes, right? Put the mask on yourself first before you put it on your children, right? The oxygen mask. And in that way, that's what I was doing with the practices. But as I progressed down the road of dealing with, with everything from realizing my beloved was gone, I got it. Like my, my heart kept breaking open. And I thought, how many times can a heart break, right? How many times can I be completely annihilated? And what I got was that there is no end to the love unless you decide so, Baron. And I was, ultimately, I had to feel the pain as well. And boy, that's when it went into this bizarre, dual thing, Paula, of both agony and beauty, like feeling the pain of that loss when I got that he said, you know, don't avoid everything with the practices. But then to feel it, I don't know, I, I... I think it's an alchemy, and I'll be honest with you, of the, of the truth and the trueness of my particular spiritual path and having done the practices truthfully and earnestly for so long. And that was the gift to feel that life and death was a coin and on both sides is life and death on the other side. And, and beauty exists simultaneously with love and loss. And I felt it. And it was like, I'm saying these words, but they don't come close to describing what it was like. It was so much more true than the voice you're hearing right now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Made so much more sense than even you and I talking right now. Yeah. I get the sense that it is one of those deep intuitive knowings that when you're in it, you're like, 
I understand this with my being. Like, I yeah. just, I can accept this and there aren't words. It's like one of those beyond human <laughs> communication. Yeah. And it becomes, and has become for me, and it becomes one's lighthouse. Because mm. nothing in my life has ever felt as true as certain, what I call prime number like episodes in my life, right? Yeah. One of a kind things. And afterwards, if we talk about them, because we can't put things into language of that level and depth, they can sometimes almost feel false and be proved as wrong by outer perspectives. But only yeah. I know the truth of something that I felt at that level. And it will always be true. Even when I look at it from a shallower level and I can't quite get there again, I remember the veracity and I will never forget that love. Yeah. Mm, that's powerful too. One of the things that I thought was so beautiful and moving was, I mean, there's several people that come in, especially during those first few days. And the one friend that said something about, you know, people need to hear from you to know that you're okay. <laughs> Which I can understand like withdrawing and being like, uh, no, I just can't talk. Like there are words for this. Yeah. You, you, putting it out there in social media, but then the turn, which, or the shift of it being that it wasn't that you want to, I mean, cause people were getting upset that Shauna had passed away and, and been killed in a car accident. They were furious. And, and, and understandably so, but then the turn of it, of what can we do to focus again, yeah. returning to that love, the, the deep seated love. Yeah. And can, can you tell us about the 13 days and what that means and, and kind of how, how, what you put out there for people uh -huh. really is a pillar of hope and beauty. Yeah. If I forget to return to what you said about the turning of the tide mm. for, for everyone else or turn me back to it. Yes. But the, thir the 13 days is, was, is basically an Eastern concept that comes, I don't know if it comes from Hinduism or whatever, mm. of honoring the death of someone you love for 13 days. And on the 13th day, you release them from anything that would hold them to this physical plane. You thank them and you say, you know, go into the light and, and love that is your nature. Don't, I'll be fine without you. You don't want to hold them here. And so there's this process of honoring and thanking them. And, and Swamiji, the, the monk, told me something really important. He said, you know, I suspect your wife is nearby you watching you and she's looking to see for how you're responding. So, I would sit before your puja, which is the Sanskrit word for altar, and I would thank her and I would talk to her. And as soon as he said that, Paula, boy, I shifted from like half empty to completely full because I knew that was the new expression of my grief and whatever I was going through was to talk to her, of yeah. course. And it, it, for anyone going through grief, I, I would I just say it, it was a turning point for me to be able to still talk to her mm -hmm. was profound to sit in front of my altar and invoke her presence and to send her blessings, which was the one and only intention I had. Yeah. Why, what else would we want to do when someone we love dies? Right. Yes. Well, and I, I don't know if there was more that you wanted to say about the turning of the tide. Yeah. The, um, so <laughs> it's funny when John, and when I talked to him on the second day, he was, he's a dear friend and he's been in city yoga even longer than I have. So deeply trusted. him. in fact, he was the one who married Shauna and I on the beach. Um, not that he's a pastor. He's just this amazing, lighthearted, beautiful being. He said, no, Baron, there's people out there that are really worried about you. And Paul, the funny thing was, was like, oh, there are? That's what I thought in the moment because I was so, like, grief is so 
in one sense, my grief was so selfish. Mm. Everything was about me and my pain. And even that went through this transformation. And, but what I got when I w- finally went online, I don't know what day it was, day three or, or whatever, and saw how people were responding on Facebook, there was such a global outcry because, as I said, Shauna was known globally that it, it prompted me to say something to, to, as John had suggested, turn them in the direction Shauna and I would want them to receive this devastating news as. So just to give you a brief, like Shauna's vitae is very long, but here's a few things for our, our women listeners. Shauna was invited by Jimmy Carter to facilitate at the Carter Center when he invited a group of religious leaders from around the world to discuss um, how to help women stop being so persecuted through their religions. Shauna worked for years with Tostan International, a U.S.-based nonprofit organization based in, also in West Africa, and they were the first organization to get over 8,000 villages to voluntarily curtail female genital cutting. Mm, yeah. So the, the outcry online was shocking to me when I looked. Like the, the posts were, everyone was devastated at the same level I was. And to hear so many people saying that the turning point in their life or the, so many of them said it was from an interaction with my wife. And I knew this because I'd been around her students and her colleagues and all that. And I knew that they'd idealize us as a couple, which is why I put in so much of of the challenges we went through in our marriage. But I had no idea that people felt she was so seminal. And so the only thing to do was to let them know how I was approaching this and how, and, and allow them to infer that this is how Shauna would want them to as well. Like how can we use this in the most uplifted way to open our hearts, to become humble and generous and kind and understanding. And like, that's all Shauna ever wanted. And so that was my few messages online. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's also an amazing space to be in where you are, you're the grieving one, Mm -hmm. but I I think as a society, many of us, or just the society, we don't know what to do with extreme emotions ever. Mm -hmm. And so that you took the words of John to heart and said, no, here's the framework with which we can, we can do this together. Because I feel some of it was clearly that you invited people in to both celebrate, but grieve, you know, celebrate her life, but grieve with you and and let them know what you would be doing then on the 13th day and how that was so meaningful to you. I mean, that's just, it's amazing. And I I think that's like something that I'll take is, is that there's a leadership in that. And probably knowing Shauna was a leader, like that's probably also the kind of leadership she had. So just beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I would never have been able to respond emotionally in the way you're saying, mm. had it not been for all the work I'd done on my path up until then. Yeah. So I want to make that really clear. Like it really, I really do want to share that none of how I responded. I don't, as I say in the book, I, I don't think I would ever have even met Shauna had I not already been on my path for so long, because I simply would have been, would not have been ready for her. I wouldn't have been mature enough for her. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, yeah, that's super interesting as well. A, a spiritual practice of any sort is so fundamental, even though it always feels really hard to sit down and meditate or whatever it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's very hard work. Um, it is. Yeah. But boy, you know, look, look at the, res- the outcome and results of an unobservant, undisciplined mind. Look around the world. That's yeah. what we're seeing right now. It's, like it's bizarre to me that, you know, I taught elementary school for 18 years, right. third, fourth and fifth grade. And that we never teach children how to use their thoughts so that they're not used by them is insane. It's insanity. And so we all grow up not understanding both the power and creativity of our thoughts. We never even suspect that the average human being has 60,000 thoughts a day because we can't even remember five from yesterday or any from the day before. And if we're so unaware of something, how can we possibly know how it's actually affecting us? Mm-hmm. Like this is something I brought into, into the classroom in whatever way I could. And the way for me as a teacher was through growth mindset, sure. the, um, the educational theory from Dr. Carol Dweck of Stanford University. And one way I made it real for, ch- for children is before tests, I would have them write down their growth mindset thoughts and their fixed mindset thoughts. And so on one side, they write, I'm going to do great with this. And on the other side, they, would, they might write their thoughts of, I'm really going to fail this. I'm going to do her- horrible in this. And then because we had such a community and we understood that we were all out for each other's growth and that we were all learn- working on something, including Mr. Stefan, some of them would be brave enough to let me share. And I remember particularly one student who had written and let me say out loud to the class, okay, Joey or whoever said, I'm horrible at this. I'm going to fail. And so I, I, I went to Joey's ear while, with everybody watching and, and listening as well in the classroom. And I said, what would you say to, to someone who walked up to you and said, you're horrible. You're going to fail this test. You're worth nothing. And everybody, you know, fourth and fifth graders like, I tell them to get the heck out of here. Right. I tell them to get away from me forever. And so the answer was simply the, the point we were getting across every day was why would we let our thoughts tell ourselves that? We're never, ever taught that the mind, we assume that the mind filters out bad thoughts and only keeps good thoughts. It is not true. The mind keeps both, the mind can't tell the difference between what's true and what's imagined, which is why we can get so startled by things. There's so many proofs of this. And so ultimately, if we don't, as I say, I just delete thoughts I don't want. I just say delete like on a phone. I delete them. Yeah. I just don't let them grow because we end up believing even those random thoughts that come out of nowhere and that mean nothing. Like you're driving down the street, you see an accident and and somewhere in your head, if you're paying attention, you might hear something really radical, stupid. That's not you at all. Say something about, Oh, I hope something bad happens or the mind. And this is what meditation teaches is that it just throws up thought after thought and none of them are who we are. Right. But because we're never, we never come to the understanding and are never taught that we're not our thoughts everything we see in the world is our fear of ourselves because our thoughts are just so out of control. It's like, I describe it as the garden of the mind, but we let both weeds and flowers grow there. And I've seen it in children, you know, it's just a, it's a difficult place to live when we can't trust our thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that is super powerful. It strikes me too, that that kind of understanding of one's mind and the power of your thoughts I, it, there's a a larger application for that whole thing right now in today's world because I, I feel like a lot of it, especially in the political cycle that we're currently in, <laughs> there's a lot of messages of be afraid of everything. Yeah. 
And I don't, is there, I don't know if you have reflections or thoughts on, you know, is obviously I, I feel like healing happens at the individual level, but is there something that we can all do as we sit in the middle of all of this to try and again, turn the tide? Truly, boy. <laughs> huge question. Big question, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of answers to it. On the one hand, we can only do, we can only start from where we are. So hearing me say something isn't going to give you 25 years of daily meditation, no. to, right? And I don't mean that in any way other than simply let's get real here. It was like me when I started teaching 18, you know, 20 years ago and didn't understand why things were so off in the classroom is I simply hadn't done the work and didn't understand that I had to start where everyone was. I, I expected them to be fourth graders, but many of them were reading at first grade levels and many of them had, had stunted gr growth in math. And so starting where I thought I was, they were supposed to be was the wrong approach because it brought about judgment. Mm, yeah. so I would say, first of all, is empathy. Like I have such empathy and compassion for everyone and I can see the immense fear and anxiety. I think the biggest misunderstanding is that it's out there. The only place in my experience that I can start is ever with myself. And I, I make it a rule to never offer advice or try to teach anybody unless they ask for it, for help. Yeah. Because everyone is where they are for a very good reason. They have to be there we're where we are because we are where we are. We've learned what we've learned until this point. There's no point judging it. Right. And, and that's, I guess, one of the great things that teaching gave me, which I knew it would, was watching the beauty and innocence of a child throw a tantrum over there and realize that afterwards, if I've judged her or him in any way, I feel terrible because I get it. It's false. That's not who that child is. That child is completely beautiful, but they're working through something. And so it's this empathy of we're all where we are for a reason. Yeah. And I, I need to figure out, I need to work on myself a lot more than I need to tell anyone else what to do. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, yeah. It's just, it does strike me that we are all in the midst of many things right now and that there's many lessons being learned and, and taught and, and things to observe. Yeah. It's an interesting that's time. Why, that's why your podcast is so important. And, you know, though I know little about it, I know the title, hmm. Jumpstart Your Joy. Yeah. And I mean, even just a title can give us so much insight into what's possible right now. Mm -hmm. I think most of us learn to live in the past and the future, right? We project our past into sure. our future because that's our beliefs, but we're never right here now. And if we look right here now, nothing's going wrong right now oh. unless it's in our thoughts. So I'm grateful for what you do. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The cornerstone quote for the whole thing is around joy being a choice, <clears throat> mm -hmm. excuse me, and that we must keep choosing it. And so when I, I you know, arrived at the end of, of your book and, and saw that really the gift was both choice and acceptance, was like, oh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I really appreciated that too. That there's a definite resonance. Oh, perfect. There. Oh, I, I get it. I get it now, Fala. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the end of the book, I say, I found that I had a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the power of that choice, yeah, has revealed every 
devastating shard as love. And that is, that's why we do the work. Mm -hmm. That's why we work on our emotions and don't let our old reactions control us anymore. It's why we do the work through meditation on our minds, because that gives that choice more power. And in the moment, instead of it washing away, we need strength. Life takes courage. And so we, the way I just, if I forget to say it there, I have my website and on there is the yoga of mindset. And I, because I've taken these lessons for over 20 years and I read them every day, mm-hmm. I wrote and recorded three months of them for free on my website so that people could benefit in the way that I benefit every day. Like I went for a run yesterday. What did I do? I put in my headphones and I listened to my lesson simply to, to change the, the, the recordings that are going through my head into positive, more uplifting thoughts. Yeah. Well, and I, and I love that that has been, because I know it sounds like you've, on your path, now you've moved into that position of, now you're working in, is it the yoga of the mind? or The yoga again, of mindset. The yoga of mindset. As, is that the focus now of all of your work? You know, it is and it isn't. So having retired from teaching, I'm, I moved back to Hawaii where Shauna and I met. And I'm like two blocks from where I used to live when we met, which is pretty ironic. And I thought that would be, I thought that would have something to do with this book that I wrote or these lessons that I wanted to put out there for free so that people could benefit from whatever, whoever wanted to benefit. Mm-hmm. But I get that this life is so mysterious. And if no one comes, it's fine. And I have no agenda, I guess, Paula, is the best way to say it. Yeah. And I, I'm not worried about it. And I'm not trying to promote anything. And I, I don't want to. I, I understand that kind of starting out on even the journey of this podcast, it was, I kind of thought it would be one thing. <laughs> and then it definitely was not. It was, it was going to be the marketing arm of a life coach practice. And, and then it became its own thing because... I mean, clearly because it was just meant to be. And that's been really interesting as well. It's like not clinging too tightly to what my interpretation of what anything would be and, and just letting it evolve into, Beautiful. you know, whatever creativity came in and said, hey, let's do this. Well, you got to, it's a dance. It's always a dance. And so that's been a really interesting practice uh, for me as well. And then kind of trying to listen to, well, where does it go next? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I mean, we're in season six now and, and I think it's more about talking oh, about how do we find the joy in the messy middle, which is where we always are, but I think we're even messier right now than maybe we had been for several years. So I, I appreciate your insights too on how you sat in the in truly the messiest of middles. Um, yeah, th- so I, I wanna come back to why I, why I thought of including those parts about Shauna and I. Because her students, colleagues, and people around the world idealized our marriage, mm because Shauna was so looked up to. I wanted to know how hard we worked every day and how many times I tried to leave her because of my old conditioned negative patterns from childhood, what I grew up with. Yeah. And so I wanted to both let them know and also give them some of the tools that Shauna and I used, which was like sitting back to back in the meditation room and things like that so that we wouldn't see each other's faces when we had these incredibly difficult things to work through. So I put all that in there both because I knew her students for sure would say, oh, okay, Shauna said this, then I should try this because Shauna is so respected. But I also wanted them to know because they're all getting married or have partners, whatever that may be now, 
to expect it to be messy. Mm -hmm. And that, boy, we, we get so fooled here when things don't look the way we think they're supposed to look and we give up on them. And we give up on the very things that were our reason for coming into a body. Mm. And that's what I almost did with Shauna so many times, right? So I based it on, am I happy? Well, that's a fool. That's a foolish measurement because as soon as you're not happy, then you blame the outside world again, right? It must be her fault. It must be his fault. It must be that I didn't do this or that. Yeah. didn't happen my way. And this is the basis of all sadness and sorrow, is the blaming, not taking responsibility for our thoughts and emotions. I came so close to abandoning the love of my life so many times because I hadn't quite learned the lesson all the way. Yeah. And just for those listening, the only way I was able to hold on to it, which I share you know, in that meditation room episode mm -hmm. and afterwards, was the letting go of the evidence. What I got was that if I stayed in the mindset and perspective I had, which was I had, you know, I had created this huge poster of all the things that were wrong with Shauna and the evidence behind it. And I put it on the wall in the meditation room and this is what we'd met to talk about and where we're gonna stay together or not. And what I finally understood was from so many perspectives, what I wrote, all that evidence is true and people would agree with me. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, that's not why I came here. I didn't come into this body-mind to prove myself right or to be more right than her or any of these things. And if I wanted what I really wanted, which was more than the love of our relationship, but to grow and evolve as a human being, then I had to turn and, and face and take responsibility for that part of me that I want. And that allowed me to drop all of my evidence with Shauna. And that's why I went upstairs. Yeah. The poster ripped into tiny pieces and hugged her on the floor with our St. Bernard and rolled in, in waves of love and tears and, and, and apologies. Yeah. Yeah. It was powerful. Yeah. It, it really is. And, and I think it's interesting because sometimes life gives you those moments. And also on my, my own path, the birth of my son was very difficult and I was diagnosed with PTSD. And one of the things that I saw was, I'll make a bizarre Battlestar Galactica reference here, but they talk about the only way through some things is to roll the hard six, meaning you have to go, you have to go through it. Like you cannot go any, there's no other route. You have to go right through it. And so I think sometimes life gives us those. I can kind of see, you know, Shauna's departure of this, of this earth being your, you know, maybe an example of a hard six for you. They, there was no other way through that thing. And grief is often that way. Yeah. But it's also through that that the lesson becomes so, so apparent. And it's so hard in the moment, and yet it is the only way. <laughs> and it's also the way that you learn so much. It's a, it, it gets a lot easier to roll that hard six when you realize that you, it's not the universe giving you this, that mm -hmm. you are the one that are giving you this. Like literally, that's what I got. Shauna and I planned all this. And when I really got to the space of taking responsibility and accepting and loving the idea mm. that every single thing in my life, of course, this is what yoga teaches, but boy, yeah. it's hard to get to that point, <laughs> is simply a reflection of, of my own self. It makes rolling that six so much easier because you begin to wonder, well, why would I do this to myself? Like, why would I give myself this? But that's the question that opens the door. 
Yeah. That's like the unaskable question in that instance. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that door, that unaskable question gets asked just a little bit, wow, suddenly new perspective and fresh life can come and you will roll that six. Yes. <laughs> I, I fully agree. Well, and yes, it's, it's, you begin to observe the thoughts of why does this seem impossible or hard or confusing? Yeah, you're right. It shifts the pers- perspective completely once you know, no, I, I've got this and I can do it. And yeah, it's all my thoughts that are making this hard. <laughs> And that's why, so that's why your podcast is so important. I'm going to say this again, and I don't, and I mean it honestly, I really do mean it because through yoga, I've learned that is literally the most basic way that life works. And I say this, I think in lesson one or two that I give for free on the yoga mindset, Mm -hmm. the most basic way that life works is that whatever thought we're, we're thinking in each moment is what we are experiencing in that moment until the next thought comes along. And then we're experiencing that thought as true. Mm -hmm. And this is how we make our way through life. What we have to get through, and which is why meditation is so important, is understanding that these thoughts are literally describing our life to us like an announcer at a ballgame and telling us how to feel and what to think. The only way to get past them is to hear new words and thoughts. What's a podcast, Paula? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Words and thoughts. There we go. So I mean it with my whole heart. Mm, Thank you. That is the benefit of something like this. It is why I listen to my lessons every day for 20 plus years, Mm -hmm. because I understand the inherent power of thought and how it literally determines my experience of my life and who I think I am. Mm, That is powerful. Thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so, if someone is is listening and they would like to first find your book, where is is the best place to get that? So you can, of course, it's on Amazon. But many, many of my, of Shauna's colleagues and friends don't like Amazon. So I'm on my website, baronstephan.com. I have the book and many different alternative websites in addition to Amazon that you could buy the book, the ebook, or the audio book, which I recorded, which was a trip in itself. So you can buy it from, yeah, you can buy it from a local bookstore and that kind of thing. Wonderful. And I will link up to your site. And if somebody wants to listen to your, your free class, where can we find that? Yeah. So you can, you can, there's a link to the yoga of mindset.com on baronstephan.com as well as there's a website called the the yoga of mindset.com and they're there for free. And the audio is free. The the PDFs are for free. I even made the lessons are about six to eight pages long, but I made at the request of a mother, a two page version of each one too for her 10 and 11 year old. So they could have it around the house and just talk about it. They're, they're free. So you don't even need me. You can. (laughs) That's wonderful. I love you. Don't, but I'm there. If you want to, if you want to ask me questions, you know, very cool. And I love that it's accessible for kind of everybody. That's, that is lovely. Well, thank you for this. And I have one last question before, before we wrap. I mean, first, I guess I should ask, is there anything that you would like to add that you feel like we haven't touched on? I'm just amazed at all the places we've gone in this conversation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> me too. It's been a real treat. Well, so the thing that I like to ask everyone before we end is what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? So I'll just stick with me since I get that uh, my my biggest work. 
I am my own sculpture. <laughs> I would say, so for me, it's deepening moment by moment, my practice and devotion to taking responsibility for every thought and feeling I have, for never blaming anyone or anything in the outside world for causing me to feel anything other than, because there's no one that can make me feel anything except me. And I don't expect everyone to, to get that, but having done what I've done for so long, it's where I focus now is taking full responsibility. Number two is number one. <laughs> and number three is to, to let everyone have their own experience of life, like to have great empathy and compassion for everyone because it's life takes such courage and it's such hard work. And Shauna taught me above all, you know, it's not our differences that divide us, but our judgments of them that do. And um, I take to heart Shauna's words. I choose love and acceptance. Thank you so much. It's been such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you, Paul. What a great pleasure. I, I wish you and your listeners well. And thank you so much for joining me this week on the show. If you want to find out more about Baron or get that link to his book or his website and uh, find out more about his program, The Yoga of Mindset, I invite you to go over to the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 278, and you'll find all those links right there. Um, and I encourage you to read the book. It really is a delight. I thoroughly enjoyed it. While you're on the website, you can purchase my book as well, Jumpstart Your Joy, Heart-Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle. That's going to be on pre-sale through January 29th, which is Friday tomorrow if you're listening in real time. And after that, you can pick it up for sure at any of the major booksellers. Uh, but if you get in on the pre-order, you'll get some free goodies and a little note from me. And I can't wait to send all of them out. It feels like I'm sending all these little packets of joy out. And it really is fun. Um, so you can find that right on the homepage there at Jumpstart Your Joy. Then in a couple of weeks, we're inching our way up to Valentine's Day. And I'm really delighted to be able to have a conversation with Mackenzie Eason. And she is a dating and uh, breakup coach. We're going to talk about how do we find our ways to become comfortable with who we are so that we can love ourselves before we ever think about getting in a relationship. And I think it's a really interesting conversation to have around Valentine's Day just because there's so much out there about romantic love for this holiday. But I think it's also really important for us to look at ways that we can learn to love ourselves and have that uh, flourish in our own lives. So I hope you'll come back in a couple of weeks for that conversation. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy. Bye.